Well, Merry Christmas, and thank you for joining me for this very special Christmas message, Christmas 2020. And I have titled this message, Seeing Jesus, Eyewitnesses of His Majesty. And I want to get right into it, and I want to read some scripture. I'm going to start with 1 John chapter 1. Verses 1 through 4, the epistle of 1 John, it says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. Our joy and your joy complete. So, the very old John, he's probably close to his 90s, he writes about Jesus. And if you've noticed that he talks about having seen him, having seen him, and having eyewitnessed him, he appeared, he mentions at least two times in these four verses. So he says, we have seen him, we have touched him with uh, our own hands, and we've seen him with our own eyes, and we've heard him with our own ears. Now, in John, the Gospel of John, which also was written by the same John, it says, Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, one of the apostles, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. So these Greek people coming to the feast to worship God, they were eager to see Jesus. One more, 2 Peter 1.16. I love this verse. Peter said, close to his death here on earth, we did not follow cleverly devised stories. We did not follow fairy tales. When we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power. Here he refers to his second coming, but then he refers to his first coming, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We want to see Jesus. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. I love that. Christianity in its purest form is seeing Jesus. Nothing more than seeing Jesus. Christian service in its purest form is nothing more than imitating him whom we see. To see his majesty and to imitate him, that is the sum of Christianity. That's a quote from very famous pastor and author Max Lucado. Now I find it I found this story about a guy who was blind for more than 51 years. 
true story. Let me read it to you real quick. For 51 years, Bob Edens was blind. He couldn't see a thing. His world was a black hall of sounds and smells. He felt his way through five decades of darkness. And then, well, then he could see. A skilled surgeon performed a complicated operation, and for the first time ever, Bob Edens had sight. He found it overwhelming. I guess so. I never would have dreamed that yellow is so, so yellow. But red is my favorite color. I just can't believe red. I can see the shape of the moon, and I like nothing better than seeing a jet plane flying across the sky, leaving a vapor trail. And of course, these sunrises and sunsets. And at night, I look at the stars in the sky. Wow, how wonderful everything is. Well, Bob Edens was right. Those of us who have lived a lifetime with eyesight, with vision, can't know, can't imagine how wonderful it must be to be given sight. But Bob is not the only one who's been blind for a lifetime. Many people are blind. A lot of people, maybe most people, are stricken with blindness. And it surprises me, really. Not surprises, but it really is uh, something to think about when you think about so many people miss Jesus year by year. They miss him for years. Every year, Christmas comes, and they don't see him. It astounds me. Yes, it surprises me, but then again, it really doesn't because I know why. In 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4, it says, Paul the Apostle said, that the God of this world, which is Satan, the devil, blinded the eyes of those who don't believe. He blinded their eyes so they cannot see, they cannot believe the wonderful gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Blindness everywhere. And my prayer this Christmas is that you would see Jesus like never before. Or if you have never seen him at all, that you would see him for the very, very first time. That is my prayer for you, for your loved ones, for your families, for your friends. I want you to see Jesus like never before. What would really excite me is if you saw him for the first time. The guy who wrote the song Amazing Grace writes in the song and sings in the song, I once was blind, but now I see. Very important. Jesus didn't come so we could see better. Jesus came to make blind people seeing people. Jesus didn't come to make people more moral or better. He came to make dead people alive. See, we become new people, seeing people, alive people when we see Jesus, when we believe in him. See, blindness is everywhere. A man can spend his entire life with a woman and never pause to look and see her beautiful soul, her true inner beauty. 
And a person can be all that goodness calls him to be and still never see the author of life. We can look at creation, the beauty of all and the splendor of all creation and never see the creator. And my prayer is that you would become seeing. Or if you have seen before, you'd see again or see Jesus like never before. Everything seems to be taken for granted. But seeing Jesus, seeing his majesty changes a life forever. My question to you is, do you see him? Jesus, J-E-S-U-S, Jesus. Do you see him? The man who spoke with such incredible authority and loved with such childlike humility. The God, the one who claimed to be older than time and greater than death. Those who saw Jesus at his first coming when he was here on this planet in physical form, they were changed forever. Thomas said, my Lord and my God. Mary Magdalene exclaimed, I have seen the Lord. And John declared, we have seen his glory and the ones walking to Emmaus, the disciples who were on the way to Emmaus said, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked? But I still love the one from Peter the best. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. All the splendor of heaven revealed in a human body. Heaven touched the earth and as a result, earth can now know heaven. The people on earth, you and I, can now know heaven. Now, I love it because seeing Jesus has changed my life. And I know it will change your life if it hasn't already. Then you know what I'm talking about. Seeing the one who came and seeing the one who will come again as certain as he came for the first time. He will come a second time to rule and reign with us who believe in him forever. It's amazing to me how people miss Christmas. There were some people who missed the first Christmas, you know, the innkeeper and Herod and some are even the theologians. M many people missed him. But those who didn't, their lives were changed forever. So I want to pray right now before I go into something very unusual, I want to pray that we would see Jesus better or for the first time. Dear God, Heavenly Father, I thank you for everyone watching, everyone listening. I pray for everyone that hears this message, that their eyes will be opened, they would see Jesus like never before or for the first time ever. And we pray for the families and the friends, the relatives, that they come across this Christmas season that is so different and uh, through this time of these crazy times, this, these crisis times, I pray that we would see Jesus more than ever before. I pray this in the wonderful, majestic name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. I want to do something very unusual today. 
I want to read Matthew chapter 1. I want to read first the first 17 verses and then verses 18 through 25. The first 17 verses is the ancestry of Jesus, the origin of Jesus, the history of Jesus Christ, or the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah. And you wonder why you're reading a list of almost 50 names. Um, you will find out today why we do this, but I believe that understanding this passage, as dull as it might seem, as, as weird as it may seem to read a bunch of names as we begin the Christmas story, I think you will see that there is so much purpose and so much power in this genealogy, in this story. I mean, there's a lot of people nowadays that go on Ancestry.com or other websites. I think Ancestry.com is the most famous one to find out their heritage, their origin, their family tree back for hundreds of years. A lot of people do that nowadays, and it's, it's fun, you know. Uh, in my family, my, my sons and my wife have done that, and they, they love it. And I'm sure there's some, some really weird guys and gals in that family tree. But the family tree of Jesus is very unique and very surprising and very powerful for us to know. I think it brings us to Christmas. Without the origin of Jesus, his heavenly origin and his human origin, we don't have a Messiah. We don't have a Lord and Savior. So it's very important. He came as God from heaven. And as a human being, he comes from a line of people. And that's what we'll look at today. I'm going to read it with a straight face, hopefully. Don't get bored by it. Don't tune me out just yet. Listen, maybe you will see the Christmas story today in a way you've never done before. Let's read Matthew 1, verse 1. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, the Anointed One, the Son of David, the Son of Abraham. Now, we see two very important names in this first verse. That is David and Abraham. And now, for Chu, number one, these family trees, these genealogies were very important. So, for example, if you wanted to be a priest, you had to prove that you were from the line of Levi and Aaron. So, it was very important that you could prove your origin, your family line, your ancestry, your genealogy, all the way back. It has to be traced. So, for Jews, and Matthew wrote primarily to Jews because he writes over and over again, as it is written. If you read Matthew, all the 28 chapters, one phrase you'll hear over and over again, dozens of times, it is written, or as it is written. And then he quotes a verse or something from the Old Testament. Very powerful. Now, verse 2, Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Aminadab. Aminadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz, 
whose mother was Rahab, Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah, Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, Abijah, the father of Asa, Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram, Jehoram, the father of Uzziah, Uzziah, the father of Jotham, Jotham, the father of Ahaz, Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, Manasseh, the father of Amon, Amon, the father of Josiah, Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel the father of Abihud, Abihud the father of Eliakim, Eliakim the father of Azar, had to laugh there for a second, Azar the father of Zadok, Zadok the father of Achim, Achim the father of Eliud, Eliud the father of Eliezer, Eliezer the father of Matan, Matan the father of Jacob, Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. And Mary was the mother of Jesus, who's called the Messiah. Thus, there were 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David, 14 generations, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. This is incredible. Because God says that the story of Jesus begins in heaven, obviously. God became flesh and dwelt among us. The Word was in the beginning, and nothing was made without the Word. Everything was made by Him and for Him. He's the eternal Word, the eternal God. He's Yahweh become flesh. Jesus actually means Yahweh saved. So we know there's the origin from heaven. The eternal God became a human being. But we have the human origin as well. And this begins, obviously, with Adam. But in this genealogy, by the way, there is another genealogy, the one of Mary in Luke chapter 3 that goes all the way back to Adam. So we have both genealogies. The one that leads to Joseph, the husband of Mary, that made him the legal heir to the throne, and the one all the way to Mary, which proves that his bloodline goes all the way from Abraham, David, all the way through Mary to Jesus Christ. Joseph's blood was not involved. Joseph was not the father. He, Jesus was born of a virgin. God made uh, is the father of Jesus Christ, and there was no human male sperm involved in the process. And so we see his human origin. And we see it goes to David, who is the most famous king of Israel, then to the, uh, the exile, Bab Babylon, and then it gives us 14 more names that go from the time that the Old Testament is silent to Jesus, to Joseph, the husband of Mary. Now, there's 400 years between 
the Testaments. And those 400 years in uh, Bible terms is called the silent years, where God just doesn't speak. And this is very important because the Bible gives us that bridge all the way from Babylon to Jesus Christ. Now, the Old Testament ends with the Medo-Persian Empire being in charge, and all of a sudden, we open up the New Testament. Who's in charge? Well, the bad Roman Empire, that incredibly huge and powerful uh, empire of the Romans. So what happens in those years? Well, that's called the intertestamental time. And uh, here we see all the names and the chronology and the, and the genealogy all the way from that time to Jesus. Now, there's so many things that we can talk about here, but time fails us. I just want to give us four things today that we can learn from this story from this list of names. Before we do, though, I want to read verses 18 all the way to 25. Now, I mentioned already the first 17 verses, the genealogy takes us all the way to the Christmas story. Without that genealogy, we would not have a Christmas story. That genealogy is very, very important, as is the one in Luke chapter 3. One giving him the legal right to be king through Joseph, and one giving him the proof that he's in the bloodline of uh, King David. So, let's read verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Now, the second time we see the virgin birth mentioned or alluded to. Once in verse uh, 16, Jacob, the father of Joseph, it doesn't, uh, and the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus. It doesn't say that Joseph is the father of Jesus. It says he's the husband of Mary, who's the mother of Jesus. So also that is alluding to the virgin birth. Here we have it again. The Holy Spirit says, or that the angel says, take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Yahweh saves. Joshua, Jesus, all the same name, a very common name. There's probably two or three Jesuses in every classroom role. You know, in every class of 25 children, there was probably two or three Jesuses. Like today, John or, or Joe or, I don't know, Kevin. But what made him special was he was the anointed one, the Messiah, the Christ. All this took place. All this took place. Here we have prophecy fulfilled. 
to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. That's a quote from Isaiah 7, chapter 7, verse 14, which means God with us. So he has two names. He's got more names than that. But here right now, Jesus means Yahweh saves. Emmanuel, his Christmas name, means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage, marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. So finally they did come together. We do know that Mary and Joseph had at least six more children, four sons for sure that are mentioned by name, plus it mentions sisters, so at least two so Mary and Joseph did not have sexual uh, intimacy, physical intimacy, till after Jesus was born. But eventually they did, and Jesus had half-sisters and half-brothers. So I guess Joseph had to take cold showers for at least nine months. Well, there we go. Now, what can we learn? What do we learn from the genealogy? That's my focus today, because I want to bring us to Christmas. And I want to bring us to a Christmas where we see like never before. Number one, we learn the purpose of history. I already read verse one, and it says that uh, Jesus is in the lineage of Abraham and David. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, and the son of Abraham. So the purpose of of history, the importance of history. Like I already said, it starts in Genesis 12, where, where God said to Abraham uh, that he didn't even know this God yet, but God called Abraham, the true God, called a man who was actually worshiping false gods at the time. He said, Abraham, follow me, and I will lead you into a country. Go into the land which I will show you. And there I will bless you and make you a blessing. And the, the most important blessing is that through his own seed, the seed of the woman, the Messiah, would come through Abraham, through David, and all the way to Jesus, the Messiah. So we see Genesis 12. We see David had the promise that... Uh, his, the, the, his, his king or one of his, uh, one of his sons in, in, in coming through, through his lineage, which was Jesus, would be the eternal king. And we see the exile. We see as the Old Testament ends with the Medo-Persians in power. And then we see all of a sudden there is the New Testament, we open the pages, and the, the bad Roman Empire, the mighty Roman Empire is there. So we, there's silence, but we do know what happens in those 400 years. For example, Daniel tells us that after the Medo-Persians, the Greek Empire came. And if we read uh, chapter 7 through 12 in Daniel, we see basically a lot of what went down between 400 B.C. 
and the coming of Christ for the first time. We also know this. In Malachi, it says that uh, the last thing that's being said in Malachi, the last thing that's being said in the Old Testament is that there will come one crying in the wilderness, saying, prepare the way of the Lord. We know that was a prophecy applying to John the Baptist and the New Testament. You can read it in Luke actually begins with John the Baptist proclaiming and preparing the way for the Christ, the Messiah, to come. And John the Baptist said, he must increase, I must decrease. Even though John was six months older, because his mother Elizabeth gave birth to him six months before Mary gave birth to his cousin Jesus, he was six months older, he said that he was before me. He was before me. Think about that. Jesus was before him, though he was six months younger. And also Jesus said in John 8 to the Pharisees, before Abraham was born, I was, I am, I am, the great I am. So we know Jesus is the Son of God. He has eternal origin with the Father, but we see in history, in his human history, there is preciseness and exactness. And the Bible is very unique in that way. No other book, and there's probably 20 or 25 so-called holy or sacred books, you know? Uh, no other book is a book of history that is confirmed by archaeology or science. These things always, even science, always confirms what the Bible says. I have no, uh, no fear of science because it can never disprove what God has made. There's a guy named Lee Strobel. He wrote a book called The Case for Christ, I believe it's called. He was an atheist or agnostic, I forget. He was a journalist for the Chicago Tribune, and his wife was a Christian or became a Christian, and he was totally against it. And in his search to prove her wrong, he came to know Jesus. See, when you, when you seek, you will find. And the Bible is the only history book amongst the sacred books. Let's take, for instance, the book of Mormons or the book of Quran, the Quran. Just two examples. Both of them so-called sacred books, but neither of them are real history. They're basically the vision of what supposedly one man saw, but no history, nothing that confirms or validate, validates what is actually written. The Bible is the best documented history book in history. It's his story. It's Jesus' story, and we get to be part of that story. So we have history that confirms the Bible and confirms the fact that Jesus is who he said he is. Now, when I took my trips to Israel and recently uh, a trip to Asia Minor, to actually to modern-day Turkey, and we saw all the excavations and people going, archaeologists going there all the time to, to uh, excavate things, to dig things up, the stones cry out that God is real. 
And in every part of history, archaeology, and geography, we find the story of the Bible confirmed. I was there where Paul was in Ephesus, in Colossae, in Laodicea, in Pergamon, in Smyrna, all those cities that John wrote to in his first, uh, second chapter, second and third chapter of Revelations. Now, all these things are unique to the Bible. It's history, it's archaeology, it's geography that confirms all that. And history has a purpose. This genealogy has a purpose and confirms what we believe. Now, we get to be part of that story. And 2020 is part of history. 2021 will be part of history. 2022 and 23, we don't know what comes. We don't know when this crisis that we call corona is over. I don't know. You don't know. But we do know every day is one day closer to Christ's return to earth. It's phenomenal. God reveals his purposes through history, through archaeology, through geography. But here in the genealogy, we see history confirmed. Number two is the accuracy of prophecy. And I can only, you know, talk very briefly about each of these points. We could make a whole Bible study out of all of that, and it would be very interesting. But I just want to make sure that you know that what we believe is the truth. It is validated history, geography. It is validated archaeology or by archaeology by what is being found and uncovered. The accuracy of prophecy. The Bible is unique. And not just because of what I just mentioned, but also because of prophecy. It does not say here in verse 16 like I said, that Joseph is the father of Jesus, what it does say is he's the husband of Mary, the mother of Jesus Christ. Christmas is no accident. God planned his arrival here on earth in detail. In detail. And in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew Scriptures, we find hundreds, several hundreds of prophecies pertaining to Christ's first coming and also to Christ's second coming, but so many that predicted Christ's first coming that have already been fulfilled. The most famous is in Micah 5.1. It, ta it talks about he shall be born in Bethlehem in Judea. Isaiah 7.14, the virgin shall bring forth a child. And in Isaiah 9, verse 5 and 6, he shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Prince of Peace, Eternal God and Father. It's incredible. And hundreds of prophecies confirm the fact that Jesus is who he said he is, that he is real, that he is true, that he's the Son of God come in human form. I'll hurry up because we need to. Number one is the importance and purpose of history. Number two is the accuracy of prophecy. And number three is the godly timing. In verse 17, he says that, it says that it's 14 generations from Abraham to David, another 14 generations from David 
to the exile in Babylon, and from there to Joseph, to Mary, to Christ, another 14 generations. It's the perfect timing, the eternal timing. I don't have time right now to talk about this, but if we could study it in detail, you would agree with me. The time back then when the Roman Empire was here on this earth, it was the perfect time for the Messiah to come. And that's what Paul is talking about in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 and 5. It's an amazing verse. But then the right time, then the right time came. Then the right time came. God knows the right time. His timing is perfect. His timing is accurate. God sent his son. A woman gave birth to him. We know from the other scriptures it was a virgin. He was born under the authority of the law. He came to set free those who were under the law, you and me. He wanted us to be adopted as children, you and me, with all the rights children have, you and me. His timing, perfect. The first time, and it will be perfect the second time. Don't worry about when Jesus will come back. He will. Every day, we're one day closer. Just be ready and rest assured. Just as he came in God's perfect eternal timing the first time, so it will be the second time. Be perfect and eternal timing. And we have the privilege to be part of this story. You are no accident. You're living for a purpose in this time, in this age. Be grateful that you get to be part of it. No matter how difficult it may seem at times, we are in God's plan and purpose if we trust Him. Romans 8.28, for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who love God and are called according to His purpose. And now we come to number four, which may be my favorite part. I mean, I love all these points. You know, uh, the, the purpose of history, the accuracy of prophecy, the eternal godly timing. Christ came at the perfect time to set us free, and the whole world celebrates. I mean, not really celebrates, but the whole world is aware. You could even go into Arabic countries right now in cities that are predominantly Muslim, Islamic, and you can probably find in each, each one of those cities a nativity scene with uh, Mary and Joseph and Jesus, the shepherds, and, you know, you, you see the world. And plus, we are having Christmas 2020, and today's the date, you know, here in Austria is, is the 24th, uh, you know, uh, excuse me, it's the, the 22nd <laughs> of December, 2020 A.D., Anno Domini, the year of the Lord, or after Christ. Now, number four is the riches of His grace and mercy. Almost every name in this list, in the genealogy of Jesus Christ, teaches us a lesson, is a lesson of God's grace and mercy. God's grace from generation to generation. The worst sins, rebellions, the worst decisions were not able to overthrow the grace of God. Now, the, the, the list of names we've just read, almost 50 names, 
the worst of characters. We have kings in there. We have, we have you know, murderers in there. We have a, four women in there, plus Mary, number five. So we have all kinds, a couple good guys, but predominantly pretty bad guys. That's, but outcasts. The women were outcasts. Now, let me, let's talk about the three women real quick. Now, in verse 3, it says that, uh, let me find it here, Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Tamar. Now, who is Tamar? Well, maybe you don't know because Genesis 38, where the story of Tamar is recorded, is a horrible story. I've never really preached it yet. Maybe I never will. She tricked Judah, um, who was one of the 12 sons of Jacob, uh, into having sex with him. She pretended to be a prostitute, and she tricked her father-in-law into, uh, you know, having a child with her. So we have prostitution and incest. Crazy. And one of those guys is one of the uh, men in Jesus' genealogy, one of the forefathers of Jesus. Then we have Rahab. Now, check this out. Rahab, we know the story from Joshua chapter 2. She helped the spies to spy out the land, and she hid the spies as they came across the Jordan. Jericho was the first place. And Rahab, the prostitute, took them up. She had heard about Yahweh, and she started believing in him, and then she believed in him, and she became a, hero, a heroine of faith. And it says in verse 5, um, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. The mother was Rahab. Crazy questionable character. She believed in Yahweh. She was a prostitute. And she is one of the mothers in the line of Jesus. Then we have Ruth. Very interesting. It says in verse 5 also, Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Now, Ruth was the great-grandmother of King David, but she had one problem she was a Moabite woman. Now, she became a heroine of faith as well, as we know. She became a mighty woman of faith. But she was a foreigner. She was an outcast. She was a descendant of Lot and his daughters. An incestuous relationship once again. The daughters of Lot tricked him into having sex with them to create offspring. Oh, craziness. And in that line was Ruth and David and so forth. So we have Tamar, we have Rahab, we have Ruth, all outcasts. And then we have verse 6. It says, And Jesse, the father of King David, David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Uriah's wife? Who was that? Her name was Bathsheba. Now, not even her name is mentioned because everybody knew the story. It's, it was a reminder of the adulterous affair that David had. As one day he looked across his 
palace from his, you know, the top of his palace. He looked over and across on the roof, bathing, he saw a woman. He called her to himself. He had a relationship, a sexual intercourse with her. Their first baby died. Their second son was Solomon. And to cover everything up, to cover the pregnancy up, he had Uriah, her husband, killed. So everyone is reminded David's adultery and David's murder and Bathsheba. So four women, a very shameful story. Four women, all outcasts and all in the genealogy of Jesus. Now let's look at some of the men. Let's look at Rehoboam in verse 7. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam. Rehoboam is the guy who was, I call him a weak stick. He was a compromiser. He was a man pleaser. And because of his weakness, he divided the kingdom. You remember, the kingdom was divided into the northern kingdom, who was wicked more and more and more, and was then taken captive by the Assyrians in 722 BC, and the southern kingdom, who had a few good guys in there, Judah and Benjamin. But Rehoboam was responsible for splitting the kingdom. Then we have Ahaz in verse 9, and Ahaz started to worship false gods, and not only that, he sacrificed his son to idols. A horrible, horrible guy. Maybe the worst of all. Then we see Manasseh in verse 10. And Manasseh was so bloodthirsty, he had everybody killed, basically, and he was a worshiper of stars. Now, that's the family tree of Jesus, and because time fails me, I have to stop here, but you get the gist. The family of Jesus, the family tree of Jesus, what do we see here? Is full of sinners. And one of the most important lessons we learn from that, from that genealogy is that our God is a God of grace. Our God is a God of mercy. That's the message. That's why Jesus came. That's the point of the story. We're all sinners. And God can only work with what he has, with the material that is available unto him. And it's not about how evil these people were. They're not on display here. Get this. These evil guys or these outcast women, these people in the genealogy of Christ are not on display. God is on display. His goodness is on display. That's the story. Wow. The importance the purpose of history, the accuracy of prophecy, the eternal godly timing and the richness of God's grace and mercy show us who Jesus is. It's incredible. I hope you see him. Jesus, God saves. Yahweh saves. Emmanuel, God is with us. In, in John 6, 40, Jesus is quoted, My Father wants all who look to the Son, and believe in Him to have eternal life. My Father wants all who look to the Son, who see the Son, and believe in Him to have eternal life. I will raise them up on the last day. Now, we read the whole first chapter of the New Testament. The first chapter, 
of the first book of the New Testament. And the first 17 verses are nothing but names, a list, a genealogy. But that list leads us to Jesus Christ. It is history. It is fulfilled prophecy. It confirms archaeology and geography. And it shows us the wonderful mercy and grace of God. Merry Christmas. Don't miss it. Don't miss Jesus this Christmas season. Let's pray. Dear God, Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of your Son, Jesus. Yahweh saves. Emmanuel, God is with us and amongst us. And for those of us who have believed in him, not only with us, but in us, Christ in us, the hope of glory. Thank you for that wonderful truth. God, I pray for everyone hearing this message and, or watching this message that they would see Jesus now. If, never, if you have never seen him, truly seen Christ for who he is, the historical Christ, the Christ fulfilled by prophecy, the, the Christ who in God's eternal perfect timing came to this earth, God as a human, and the, God, the Christ who shows us the boundless grace and mercy of our God, the love of God. <laughs> He's awesome. If you've never seen him, reach out to him and you will see him. Pray this with me, please. Dear God, pray it with me. Dear God, I come to you as I am. I am a sinner just like every one of those names in Christ's genealogy. We're all sinners. You are the friend of sinners. What a wonderful fact. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. I believe you died for me on the cross. That's why you came. You were buried in the tomb and you broke out. You rose again and people saw you resurrected eyewitnesses of your majesty. I believe in you, Jesus, and I have eternal life. Amen. Amen. You, if you prayed this or that content in some other, you know, words, you are a child of God. The old is past. He didn't come to make you see better. He came to make a blind person see he didn't come to make you better or morally better. He came to make dead people alive. You're now alive. Christ lives in you. And I thank you for sharing this with me. I, I, I pray that you would also share this message with others. The Christmas season is the perfect time to share the gospel, the wonderful good news of Jesus with others. I love you, and I'll see you next time. How was it? Echt? <sighs> mm? Mm -hmm. I wanted to do 45, but it's okay. What do you think came across well? <laughs>